What's up, you little botchy roos? So me and Basil again apologize for the long delay between uploads, but we're trying to figure out our rhythm now we're outside of lockdown. But if you're a fan of what we're doing, the good news is every time we forget to record, we feel guilty about it and come back better than ever. So we got massive plans for the podcast over the next couple of months with yet again a slightly different layout and extra content. As always, we love the few regular listeners that we've got, and we hope you enjoy what's coming up. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. And now for our feature presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump, and botch. Wrestling, you've been put on notice. Uh, let's get ready to ramble! It's the next stop on our 90 saga. We're at WCW's Capital Combat on May 19th, 1990. And what makes this show so special? The cross-promotion between the upcoming Robocop 2 movie saw the main man himself turn up for some wrestling. That's right, Robocop turned up. Warner had a hand in the production of the movie and it only made sense for Ted Turner to advertise his film on his network. The only problem is, the WCW booking team knew nothing about the plans until days before the event, and even then, didn't really care to put any creative effort into the appearance. Turning up with the stinger, WCW fans have been debating for decades now that Robocop could have played a more interesting role in the Sting vs. Horseman story. As the months go by in 1990, it seems tension is heating up backstage and the big names are dropping like flies. A tight salary budget and an even tighter firm grip style of management from Jim Hurd is forcing talent to jump ship. Remember this is 1990 and there is a ton of competition out there. Yet you can tell much of the guys on the roster still believe that the WCW brand is going to be a big deal one day and is worth sticking with. This show has gone down in history as pure wrestle crap because of the Robocop cameo. However, there's an entire two and a half hours worth of show surrounding that one moment. So join us as we discuss WCW during one of its rockiest periods in management, survive, maybe prosper, and put on a show that's considered to have one of the best cage matches of all time. Uh, We'll see about that. But right now, it's time for NWA's World Championship Wrestling's Capital Combat featuring Robocop. Botched up, brother. What's up? This is the Botching It Up podcast, and this week we're back on our 90s saga, and we've watched WCW, well, NWA, Capital Combat 1990, featuring none other than Robocop. As always, with me, Benito, and my good friend Basil. Well, thanks, Ben. As we anxiously await the arrival of Robocop, we are reminded that he's here to protect all the little stingers from the evil of the four horsemen. Oh, I love that. The little stingers. He said that a lot, so many times. And it's weird. That's the only reason Robocop was here, is to protect the little stingers. Uh, Right, so before we get... He wasn't here to protect anybody in the main event, obviously. No, he fucked off home. He came, did his (laughs) appearance, went home for, for dinner. 
got that sweet dollar check. That's I was it. like, I'm out of here, chum. That's it. Okay, so before we go play-by-play through the entire event, I did want to bring up what I mentioned there about the breakdown in relationship between NWA and WCW. Um, we kind of discussed it on the WCW events we've watched so far, but it seems like at this point in history is when it's done. We're fully WCW now. I think I... Uh, I don't know whether it's this story or this pay-per-view this year or something else, uh, where basically an NWA council realized that they could make money from WCW, but they weren't taking the money. So then they leapt into action to say, hey, give us some money. And then I think NWA, WCW was like, we're just going to change our name. Yes. So I may be wrong, but I believe this is the last ever NWA, WCW event. And after this, it will just be WCW now. Well, it was weird, to be honest. That, like, I understand the taking the legacy of NWA and tacking it onto your own promotion, but if that's the case, then you don't create your own advertising and your own sort of other entity. It's it's like having WCWWF. Well, it's like uh, uh, TNA. It, TNA was NWA for a bit there. But they realized their mistake before they even got TV. Yeah. This was weird, and I'm glad that it, it sort of just went by the wayside a little bit so that's going to play into a lot of stories i think we're going to talk about with wcw over the this event and the next couple of events the first being how much more control jim hurd now has on the um booking committee and a fun story i've got for you here is that he passed out a memo before capital combat that said no more low bows low blows and no more attacks on the guardrails are allowed now, no more attacks on the guardrails. How many times did you count in this show <laughs> they threw each other into guardrails? Like six or seven. It was pretty much every match. And was this, two low was blows. Was this a big F you to Jim Hurd? I think so. And there was two low blows. Jim Hurd was all over this show and not for good reasons. The booking on this show was awful from pretty much from the, ma- from the opening match to the main event. Um, this show feature was it felt like the blooming of a new dawn it's interesting that you said nwa uh was this was the last nwa show because we had four new faces here since wrestle war 90 over the over the past couple of months in the opening match you had bam bam bigelow who uh had joined wcw in april he had left wwf in 1988 and then he'd be going back to wwf in 1992 you had the junkyard dog turn up you had uh, El Gigante, who did nothing. Yeah, we're going we're, uh, we're to get to him event. later. Uh, and who was the other guy? Dog Furnace was another one. The the weightlifter. All right. Anyway, yeah, you had all, you had four debuts, and it, did you feel like any of these four were given? Oh, Sid Vicious, Sid Vicious. Oh, now part of it, the uh, Four Horsemen, yeah. The, now part of the Four Horsemen. So you, and Bam Bam really bad on this show. Did any single one of those four guys make a, a big impression to you, Ben? Not at all, not at all. We'll get, we'll get to uh, El Gigante, uh, but Junkyard Dog, this is right at the end of his career, isn't it? So yeah, this it's is getting close to it. retirement run. He he didn't look in great shape. He he did an okay promo. Um but he was re- he was re-debuting, I think, to go on to at least upper middle card, if if, if not the main event. And he re-debuted in what was a fun promo, but still is was a basically a backstage promo, uh, not in ring, 
not in front of a crowd necessarily, nothing. You and had Sid Vicious not speak a word and look like an idiot. And you had like an idiot, yeah. Bam Bam Bigelow as part of a six-minute curtain jerker, uh, which I know he was kept away from the main of it, from the from the match's finish, but still didn't really stand out too much. I feel like he could have done a lot more fun things with Mick Foley as well, seeing as those those two had history. So anyway, this is WCW slash NWA Capital Combat 1990. Do you know what date this happened on, Ben? It happened on Saturday, May 19th. May 19th. Kane wasn't scared of an imposter Kane. He was scared of Robocop. (laughs) So this is at the DC Armory in Washington, DC. What a fantastic uh, throwback to our own own content. (laughs) Fantastic. Meta, bro. Uh, this was this was in DC Armory, Washington DC. It had seven thousand five hundred in attendance. Not sure whether they were all paying, and there, I think there was something wrong with this show because they were actually distracting me for the first two or three matches. Be- and Jr. was mentioning it a lot too. They were still sort of filtering in, nearly an hour into the show. So I think somebody something r- wrong happened with the actual gates here. You had a buy rate here of one hundred sixty thousand people. Which well, roughly, uh, which was a slight decline yeah, from Wrestle War ninety. That's actually quite low for WCW at the time, isn't it? Wrestle War ninety was one hundred seventy five thousand, and that was still quite a low paying show. And just to put it in perspective, it, uh, the previous month's WrestleMania, WrestleMania six, had five hundred sixty thousand yeah. buy rate. Yeah. So WWF are still the biggest uh, show going, easily. WCW right now is TNA yeah. and AEW. Yeah. Uh, so before we talk about the actual show, I want to talk about the arena. I talk about the arena almost every time I watch a WCW show because... I love when you talk about the I arena. I love them compared to the WWF stuff. The stage was so far... It was so basic. It was just scaffolding. It wasn't even that special. But for 1990, it was just something completely different. I loved it. As we mentioned with the Blood and Guts chat that we had earlier, though, we just like a little bit of scaffolding. Yeah. That's what it we want, really. It just makes all the difference. To a, a, a black curtain. Yeah. You know. All right. So the show opens up. Uh, Animal Hawk uh, come out on motorbikes, which is uh, always fun. Then with Norman the Lunatic, who has found himself a little toy scooter since we've last seen him. Uh, they defeat Bam Bam, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan in nine minutes and 38 seconds in the opening contest. Uh, Melsa gave this two and a half stars. Which I think is actually quite generous. Okay, no, this match, this was the start at the beginning of heels and faces not necessarily making sense for me. Uh, the Road Warriors look like heels in this. I know that they're supposed to be tough and bad, but Cactus Jack, Kevin Sullivan, and Bam Bam Bigelow as a team, even then, are just wonderful. Like, how could you possibly boo yeah. them? They were perfectly. They perfectly um, fitted together. Yeah, but ro- Road Warriors were genuinely acted like mean well, bullies, which they are. Shall I give are. you a little backstage scoop on this? Oh, I go think on. you probably already know. Uh, this is their last WCW pay-per-view because of money problems. So I did not actually know I that. I think they just generally didn't want to be there and didn't give a fuck. Well, I did kind of feel that in the last couple of shows we've watched. Uh, they had very quick matches, like five five minute matches with the Undertaker and other p- people of that caliber at that time, uh, and they just sort of roughed them around and then left. But, 
in both the Clash of Champions and the Wrestle War. And what's crazy is they were on the poster for this show. They were the front of the network, at least, for me. But they were the actual pay-per-view poster as well. Okay, so Road Warriors and Robocop, both guys that turned up and then couldn't be bothered to come back because they didn't get paid enough. (laughs) That's it, exactly, that's it. I've also heard a lot of stories about Norman the Lunatic. I think he's begun a become a fan favorite of mine at least as we continue to watch this 90s stuff i was gonna ask you like do you reckon we could find two norman shirts oh yes because he was at, he was actually wearing his own merch this show with his face on it he i noticed he's dropped the lunatic and i also found it well, quite was he funny built just that, as norman this time yeah he's just norman oh, okay. now and uh, i found it quite funny that his gimmick was riding out on a scooter uh and you've got this sort of Upper mid card, charismatic, jack to the gills, uh, good amateur wrestler guy, uh, who st- who used to have a UFC career, and in 2021 on Raw, you give him the same gimmick as Norman. Norman and Matt Riddle have the same gimmick. Oh, riding a scooter. <laughs> I was really confused what you were talking about then. Were you like talking about Eugene, or, or... I was really confused. Uh, yeah, no, Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think that says something. So all the stories I've read is is pre nineteen ninety uh, for a couple of years. This guy, Mike Shaw, is his real name. This guy was a really good wrestler on the indies, and he Norman, yeah, Norman. He was going to be a big thing, and then when he gets to WCW, they make him um, a brain dead idiot that has just come out of a mental asylum. Uh, so just a, a Norman, completely career killing gimmick. I'm sorry, but Norman was supposed to be a really good wrestler on the indies. Apparently, this is why I don't trust the indies. <laughs> Cactus Jack in this match literally did an over the top neck breaker and nearly killed himself. Went flying outside, and Norman couldn't even be bothered to pretend to fall on the floor properly. Well, I think you got to admit, if you get slapped with such a shitty gimmick, you probably lose your love for wrestling. <laughs> Possibly. Might be a part what of a it. What a sad thought. No what so Cactus Jack was the only guy that, that gave a shit in this match, apparently. As usual, he was popping around, bumping around everywhere ridiculously. Every single match we've seen him in, he's done this. He he just Cactus Jack in nineteen ninety is a mentalist. And I feel a pretty deflated debut for Bam Bam Bigelow. He was, yeah, I mean, I, he turned up, he was there, he did a, a few bits, but nothing exciting. You could have done so much more with Bam Bam. And I just wanted to ask you re- really, or not really ask you, but just talk to you really. Bam Bam is one of those guys to me that is so ridiculously underrated for what he's done in the business. Um, this guy was on Hulk Hogan's Survivor Series team in 1988 as one of the main baby faces of WWF's company. I wasn't even aware of the fact that he had a WCW run at this sort of time. He came back to WWE in 92. He faced Lawrence Taylor in the main event of WrestleMania 11 in 95. Uh, he became an ECW original for a little while in the late 90s. He had one more run in WCW, which is what I remember him from. I had his action figure. It came with like a motorbike. He had uh, a great time in Japan. He's well respected in Japan for the, the the matches that he's had. This guy's done it all, and he he feels like he's not 
respected to the level that he really should be. He's been forgotten about a little bit, hasn't he? I think. Yeah. Is he in the Hall of Fame? I think he he literally just got inducted into the Hall of Fame either in the last two years worth or the year before that. But in one of the lower spots. Yeah, he he was like a, definitely one of one of the first two, two or three minutes go. Even though he's main event in a mania. Well, it was his family that inducted him. Yeah. He passed away. Yeah, but even still, ago. if you, I feel like if you've um, main evented a mania, you you deserve a higher spot. I think it's because WWE re- recognizes that not many people know who Lawrence Taylor is now, so they don't really care sure. because they don't actually care about the people; they care about the media. So, what star rating did you give this thing? I gave this two and a half. Uh, I quite enjoyed it. Obviously, it wasn't as much of a thing that I could actually get a good star rating out of it, but for what it was, I thought it was a fun little opener. When I'm looking at openers, I'm always looking for something to make me wake up a little bit and make me entertained. I'm never looking for a classic, and this delivered for those reasons. Okay, fair enough. Uh, So, our second match of the night is Mark... Jesus. What? This fucking match. <laughs> mean Mark defeats Johnny Ace in 10 minutes and 41 seconds, which was way too long as it should have been a squash match. They're trying to uh, they're trying to build up Mark Calloway, and I've got it on good authority from good old JR that their plans were for him to be a future main eventer. They wanted to put the world belt on him eventually one day. He's still very green at this point. But obviously he jumped ship in the very same year to WWF instead. But this match versus Johnny Ace, who's John Laurinaitis, was a complete dud in my eyes. And um, uh, Meltzer gave it one and a quarter stars. I gave it one and a half. Um, this thing was weird. And it, it's strange that you tell you talked to me about how JR said they wanted to make him a future world champion. Because he's, uh, Taker said in his own ride documentary that the reason he left WCW is because somebody looked him straight in the eye and said, brother, you're never going to draw a dime. I wonder who that would have been. I, I, well, it was, he said it was either Jim Hurd or one of the higher-ups. Uh, maybe Jim Hurd, because from the stories that I'm reading, it sounds like the booking committee and Jim Hurd were on very different wavelengths. I, I really saw talent behind Taker, and it's not just retrospect. Looking at mean Mark Callis during this period of time, you can tell that he's green. But I think his moveset is quite crisp, and he's definitely got a presence. He's got a level of natural charisma to him, which is why putting him with maybe the worst babyface wrestler I've ever seen, Johnny Ace, uh, was a terrible idea. Who thought this was a good idea? At this point in his career, if you think that mean Mark Callis is is not going to draw a dime, it's because you're putting him with people like Johnny Ace. This uh, this match shouldn't have existed. It shouldn't have existed for the amount of time that it did. Mark should have been put in there with uh, somebody, an old vet or somebody of status, maybe a Kevin Sullivan, somebody like that, to work with five, six minutes, get the job done. What I genuinely thought this match, I kept waiting for the heat to build up so that uh, Johnny Ace could get his fire back and beat Mark Callis because that's what the match was going like. Then, uh, I thought it was going to be a back and forth and Mark was going to take the loss. And then, no, it's just a really, really, really long squash. Just a really long beatdown. A beatdown for 10 minutes. I think Johnny Ace got maybe five offensive moves in. So, yeah, Mean Mark wins. This match should have only gone three or four minutes at the most. 
I thought I, I genuinely thought Taker looked impressive in his early WCW run. I hope that Johnny Ace doesn't stick around in this company too much longer because I really love this roster. It feels like a proper little federation. Uh, everybody's got their own character. Everybody works quite well together in their various different little groups. Johnny Ace has got no place in this. He feels like an early 90s WWF jobber. He doesn't feel like he should be in WCW. Who was he thrown into a tag team with on the last show we watched? Can you remember? I can't remember the name of him, but it it was a tag team for a while. It was called the Dynamic Dudes, and they had skateboards. Uh, and I think Johnny Ace was left alone here because the other guy had left the company. Was it um, fucking? Oh, Shane, Shane Douglas, Douglas, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. Shane Douglas. Crazy, uh, but you can tell they they got plans for Mean Mark because even on the three four shows that we've watched, there's definitely been a rise in the matches he's been in. You know, he went from um, like a, a jobber squash tag team match and then a tag team match that went a bit longer. And then obviously that tag team fell apart. So he's on him, he's on his own now. And um, they've given... Well, this felt like it should have been a squash, but they gave it time. So they obviously had some confidence in him. I feel like their plans just didn't go quite right. Uh, I think they wanted him to be in that tag for a little while longer and get the rub from the Road Warriors before breaking off into Solo. But that would have what would have been like an eight nine month build there for that uh, had to become the next month just out of necessity. Yeah. Okay. Next up, Gordon Sully is backstage and he's telling us the status of Sting and RoboCop is in the building. The little uh, dialogue that you gave us right at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> this is what I, did they have to find a, a a hallway so dimly lit to film in? I couldn't fucking see anything. What? What? Honestly, when I see stuff like this, like Gordon Soley, what is Gordon Soley thinking in his head when he's got to introduce RoboCop? Fuck! It's time to retire. <laughs> I think he's just thinking about the hotel bar. Yeah, because he he looks he looks like he's done, bro. Do you reckon? Do you reckon um, he went to watch RoboCop in the cinema? This was advertising RoboCop two. Yeah. So Gordon Soley might have already become a big fan of RoboCop 1. I don't know. Which is I why he wanted to meet him backstage so much. I can't so see much. it. He doesn't look like a RoboCop kind of guy to me. He looks well, like... I'm a RoboCop kind of guy, and this segment worked for me, brother. He, he looks more like a Nani fan to me. Yeah. Nah, nah. I don't think so either. I think he's a Stallone guy. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll get to RoboCop. So Tony Schiavone, my boy... This was, I quite, you didn't like this. I quite liked the way they did the interviews on this show. So basically, instead of being backstage, they had like a little spot to the side of the arena where you could see the ring and the crowd behind them as they did interviews. Oh no, don't get me wrong. I, I liked it. I, I did like it. I didn't like the fact that threw Junkyard Dog onto it uh, okay. from his first appearance in over a year. It just didn't make any sense to me. So this time round, we got the Rock and Roll Express being interviewed about their match coming up, and I had never realised that Robert Gibson has a lazy eye. It was Seriously. very distracting in this promo. That's the that's the only thing I've ever noticed from him. Yeah, he's, he's had a <laughs> lazy eye him, for like thirty five years. That's why he reminds me of Nick Buck. I've never really I've never really looked at him that closely before this promo. Ricky Morton is a is is such a great face, and Robert Gibson is really the shits. Well, he's just, he's the B guy, isn't he? He's the, he's the backup. These he's are the, the Bucks. These are the he's, Bucks. Matt he's the is Devon Ricky. of the team. Matt is Ricky, and uh, Nick is Robert. Yeah. 
In the Usos, who's who's the A man and who's the B man? Well, it used to be the A man was Jimmy and the B man was Jay, but I think nowadays the it's A man is Jay and it's J- the B man's Jimmy. Yeah, I would agree with that. Did you know that uh, the Fiend's dad used to be a captain? Yeah, what 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 was he a captain of? I don't know. <laughs> I th- I assume it was a boat because he had a little anchor, a cute little anchor on his pants. Did he? I didn't notice the anchor. Yeah. The Samoan SWAT team. What a team. Fatu and the Samoan Savage, I think the other guy's name is. Yo. Defeats Mike Fratona and Tommy Rich in 17 minutes, 54 seconds. This got one and a half stars. This is where me and uh, Meltzer really didn't get along with this one. And But can I just say the critical consensus for this match is overwhelmingly in favor of Meltzer. So maybe I'm just wrong. Why did you love this match so much? I loved it because it was 11 to 12 minutes of hot tag frustration. It was it was like, well, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> it was all of this build up and build up and build up and build up. And oh, there's an illegal tag. Oh, the ref didn't see that. Oh, there's a dirty double team. Um, and yes, I understand that there was quite a bit of chin locks, quite a bit of holds for a long periods of time. But I haven't seen a uh, hot tag done that professionally in quite a while. It was just so frustrating that I feel like the... First of all, I've got to say that as well, the Samoan SWAT team, I think this was very early in their careers. I didn't realize Rikishi was in the business even at this point in time. Looked so confident and comfortable in their personas that they actually made it. And I think that it worked because they did what they had to. Like, nobody's going... I didn't even realize... at the beginning that Captain Mike Rotunda and Tommy Rich were supposed to be the baby faces. I thought they were the heels until the Samoan SWAT team turned up. All right, I, I was going to say they were definitely the um, the faces in. The oh, match. before yeah, but before the Samoans turned up, I, d- yeah. I had they seemed like heels to me. So you've got the, these four guys, none of whom whom many people are interested in right now. What do you do with them? You can have a seven minute match, or you can really build the heat up. And I thought all of these hot tags while some people might find it boring, did such a good job of building Mike Rotunda and Tommy Rich up, who I previously didn't care about at all, that I wanted to see Tommy Rich tag in. And that, to me, is a job done well. That's a successful match. So I I, I really appreciate that, and I enjoyed it. The, the tag was teased about eight times, and then in brutal Jim Hurd fashion, as usual, uh, they finally get the fucking hot tag. They finally get it. Tommy Rich comes in, uh, not with the uh, loud pop that I was expecting so much. But I Tommy think Rich, maybe you're the only one enjoying this match. <laughs> yeah, I think I was. <laughs> Tommy Rich comes in, arm popping at least, even if the seven thousand five hundred people aren't. And then psychological fuckery. Just as the tag happens, Tommy Rich gets screwed, and the Smurn SWAT team run. I thought, wow. <laughs> no, come on. I maybe I can understand why people might find it boring. I think uh, Meltzer giving it a star and a half is atrocious. This was a three stars to me. So match of the night for you then, yeah? So far. So far. <laughs> well, if you're gonna get much more excited than that, well, this is a great event. Um, Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it deserves a bit more of a better rating than that. But I, again, I think the match went on too long. I think that's uh, a problem with this entire show. His matches went were long. Mm. 
again, maybe because it was between four guys that the crowd didn't really care about. Although uh, the Samoans looked amazing in there. We watched the Samoans a couple of shows ago, didn't we? I think. And they, dis- yeah, they destroyed someone in the squash. I think they turned, up at, uh, they turned up at Capital Combat. And I think one of them was in the opening against Steve Williams in A Clash of Champions or something like that. Yeah, that, that's it. That's it. These two look great. Um, before we move on. Well, the, can as, I- as I said, like it, it's it was really amazing to me to watch these two guys who I think had been in the business for like a year or two. Uh, be so professional and so confident and comfortable within their own gimmicks. And Rotonda? Has he been in the industry that long at this point? I don't think so, no. I think he might have spent some time in AWA, but he's pretty green at this point, I think. Because that's definitely a career we're going to have to track one day. It's been interesting, that one. Yeah. I didn't realise he had been a captain as well as a banker. (laughs) All the jobs. He's done it all, mate. (laughs) Pretty much. We're then back with Tony Schiavone. And he's interviewing the best tag team to interview, the Steiner brothers. They say quite a lot without saying anything. Isn't it hilarious that Scott Steiner's been shit at promos for 40 years? But at the same time, they're just brilliant. Yeah, the the Steiners were over as Rover here, and I can see why. They just scream at you. And, uh, that's what I I like a bit of that sometimes. You don't always need. That's the problem with modern day man. Everybody's trying to be Jake Roberts. Just a bit of macho bravado. That's all you need. Then, this is the shits. But there's a funny story <laughs> behind this. Paul Ellering beats Teddy Long, who in a hair versus hair match, Teddy Long has to get his hair shaven by a famous hairdresser. I forgot the guy's name. Jay Tapper, world famous hairstylist. Who literally just like savagely buzz cutted out <laughs> off camera and then walked off. <laughs> Luckily, this only goes two minutes. Meltzer gave it minus two and a half stars. But the story of why this match exists is more fun than the actual match. So this is just to pop the boys backstage because both Paul Ellering and Teddy Long were both complaining too much in the cars that their hairs were fading and that they were losing their hair. So some idiot backstage thought it would be hilarious if they had a hair versus hair match, and it got booked. So this is wow. just a joke. Um, See, I was, I was thinking about this, and I was like, how, how mad would it be, right, for you to re- realise you're going bald and then be like, I can make money out of getting my hair cut, and then... <laughs> Getting your hair cut live on TV and then like an hour later playing it off as a gimmick for more money. That's that's, that's just a strange living. <laughs> yes, what, a, what an industry these guys live in, I suppose. Um, J- JR and Conrad on their podcasts, they talk about it a lot as the uh, let, me, let me up match. They say that quite a bit. Basically the piss break. It's a polite way of saying the piss break. Yeah. JR basically called this a piss break uh, in the previous match, in the Simone SWAT team match. He, he said um, not to go to the refrigerator next because Paul Ellering and Teddy Long is, is coming on and that you need to sit and watch this. Go to the refrigerator in a, in a little while. <laughs> so he was already taking the piss out of it before he even turned up. But hey, it was kept short. Uh, it was it was kept very very short. I don't know whether you've ever seen the Ricardo Rodriguez tuxedo match, 
in WWE I think I versus have. Santina Morella. I think I watched it that when went, it happened, but not since. That went about 10 minutes. So, you know, this this is fine. Apparently, Teddy Long was very scared to do this match because he didn't want to expose the business. He knew he was going to be shit, basically. <laughs> but he had a six-pack, man. Yeah, but it doesn't mean he can wrestle. No, but I just I was just surprised oh, Teddy right. Long had a six-pack. Just proud of the guy. Yeah. Uh, Paul Ellering was a wrestler, though, right? He definitely knew how to throw a guy around. I don't really understand Paul Wellering because he's... I thought he was around in the 70s and 80s, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I thought he faced, like, Gorilla Monsoon or something, and he was, like, a real old-school dude. But then he's still managing... He was still managing tag teams in NXT, like, two years ago, so I have no, how, no idea how old he is. The only story I've ever heard about Paul, Paul Ellering was that he was considered by all the boys to be a proper intellectual. He would be reading all of the broadsheet papers and novels every day, uh, talking stuff that they didn't understand, but everybody still had time for him. He was one of the boys, despite being seen as a bit of an intellectual. So that's probably why he won over Teddy Long then in this joke match. I would reckon because so. Because he was one of the boys. Definitely. Uh, like you said, the hairdresser lops off his hair and uh, runs out. We all get a good laugh of it. It was wearing boxing. Um, did gloves, you? Did you way. get a big, big good laugh out of it? Not. I, I just didn't understand what was going on at all until <laughs> I listened to Jr. talk about it. Yeah, no, I did like Teddy Long's entrance with the full boxing gear. It's just carny, bro. Very, it's wrestling. It's wrestling. Talking about wrestling, we're back with Tony Schiavone, who's talking to the Four Horsemen. Again, these guys have made a living out of saying a lot without saying anything at all. Yeah, they all they all proper alpha it as they always do. All great talkers, Ric Flair. They're talking about their match in the main event, and for at least an hour of time before we got to the main event, Sid Vicious looked so menacing here that it was unreal. In that suit, almost what six five or something, with that chin made out of granite. I, I would be terrified. I would be pissing the bed as a six-year-old looking at him. Sid Vicious and, looks really good here and then completely undoes all of that later yeah, on in the night. We'll get yeah. to it. But, we'll I mean, for it. at least that that hour, you were like, who is that guy? He's going to destroy Sting. Yeah. So you, at least you had that for an hour. So is this... Has he just debuted then? This yeah, is the first debuted, time we've seen him. He debuted this April. Uh, so this is this is May. So he had debuted a month before, along okay. with uh, Bigelow. I think Giganti made his debut on this show. Yeah, but yeah. They were they were slowly making an influx of of newer faces, and I think that's because a lot of guys during these months. Nineteen ninety was a pretty shady year for WCW. A lot of guys either got fired or they fell out with the business, or they just quit upright. Yeah, I think well, we- a lot of that's got to do with Jim Hurd. Yeah, we talked about this on our last WCW podcast. Um, a lot of people are complaining about money. A lot of people are leaving. Uh, and obviously, the uh, Road Warriors are going to be leaving soon. Um, I can't remember who we were talking about last time. We were talking about I mean, two or three people. We're, we're from, what, from what you said about... Uh, we, we were talking about Taker's previous partner as well. Um, but from what you said about the low blows and the guardrails thing, it sounds like people were kind of pissed off with with the booking community at this point as well that wasn't the booking committee that was solely jim hurd i think well, jim hurd then yeah i think he was had a tight uh chokehold on Cornette and jr and uh Ollie Ollie. anderson yeah 
But I th- apparently Ole just didn't give a fuck. He would tell you to go fuck off to your face. Was JR on the booking committee then? Yeah, JR was involved. It was I think it was JR. Ric Flair was booker up until I think the last show we watched. Then he stepped down, didn't he? And Ole steps up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cornette, JR, and a few other, two other people, I think. I can't remember who, though. Next up, we got the Midnight Express versus Brian Pillman and Tom Zeke, who we've had a lot of fun with over the last couple of shows. This match goes 20 minutes and 20 seconds. It's for the NWA United States Tag Team titles. Meltzer gives it three and three-quarter stars. This idea of having two tag team championship belts is so confusing to me because you've got you've also got the steiners who are the world tag team champions these are the u.s tag team champions yeah so these are the lower mid card tag team champions but midnight and the other guys, express are like the biggest tag team in the world at this point or one of them they're up there uh, i absolutely loved jim Cornette getting pasted by peewee anderson the referee uh and getting thrown in the cage and then going wild over it but overall uh i'm not sure whether you agree with me i felt like cornet being in a cage actually took away from the match than than gave to it well the commentary team spoke a lot about cornet being not being able to be involved in the match but is that not what makes the midnight express great cornet's involvement that this was the weird psychology of of the match we were supposed to be reveling in the fact that cornet was in a cage, but Cornette didn't do anything before the match to wind us up enough to care about the fact that he was in a cage. So it was just a very strange, um, vicious cycle of Cornette being in a cage, but taking away from the quality that he could give to uh, an otherwise great match. I guess if you're watching weekly TV, then you're excited by the fact that Cornette's in the cage. Oh, he he definitely uh, played it to his true cornet level and was an absolute superstar in that tiny little shark cage. But I just, I don't, I think it's a little silly to lock lock cornet up, (laughs) you know? He's he's supposed to be running around everywhere. Yeah, he's the real star of this. Uh, Brian Pillman, I know you said we've enjoyed him. We have enjoyed him. But the amount of talk I've heard about the quality of his uh, matches in this sort of era, I didn't see at Wrestle War. And if you if you wrestled at Clash of Champions, I didn't see it there. This was to me the first true superstar performance that I've seen by Brian Pillman. He had an incredible level of of boundless stamina, charisma. Uh, he had a slick move set. Everything he did looked good, and he he just kind of the Z Man. I d- I just I, man, we've talked about the Z Man a couple of times. I don't get the gimmick. I love apart that you call him the Z Man. Well, you see, he is. <laughs> but I don't get the gimmick particularly. But he's he's not bad. He just he's like that guy again, like the what we were talking about with the B team people. He, he kind of reminds me of the Angelo Dawkins of the Street Profits, like hitched a ride onto an actual superstar and managed to make some money out of it. Yeah. I thought the match overall was great. It was a real step up in quality from the rest of the show so far. I thought they did some great heat building. I thought the Midnight Express particularly are just 
uh, they're just great in everything. They had an absolute banger with uh, the Rock and Roll Express last pay per view, and it's nice to see somebody established like the Midnight Express working to the best of their ability to get the very best uh, combination of chain wrestling, high flying, and heat building from a guy like Brian Pillman. Uh, they really gave him the rub before they took his title, and I I, I appreciate that. Again, like you said before i thought this match went a little bit too long uh as they all do the pace began began to slack about 10 minutes in um and that's when i think you really would need a cornet yeah i was saying if they had jim cornet there i think 20 minutes would have been fine yeah but they would have needed that extra involvement i missed the tennis racket so do i man so do i it's not it's not a proper this is the first time on this show that i really heard the crowd pop loud and maybe that's just because they've finally gotten to their seats. Well, yeah, maybe that. But this is also when the show really properly started. Up until now, it felt like it could have been TV. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we got Robocop arrives. I've got Robocop. Crowd goes mental for Sting. Where's Robocop? Robocop is here. Fuck. Robocop. Great ovation for Robocop. Well, your notes are almost as good as mine. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, Sting comes out, uh, four horsemen that come to attack him from behind. So, although Ric Flair has been feuding with Lex Luger for months now, it's still all about Sting. Lex Luger is the third party to this Sting feud still while he's injured. Anyway, so the shark cage that's still out there for the last match, they throw Sting into that. Robocop comes to save them everyone's scared of robocop they all run away from him and robocop really badly bends the bars of the (laughs) shark so badly you can tell it's just made out of paper mache or something and he rips the uh, door off the cage to save sting what a moment you you forgot about the two or three minutes that it took him to actually get down the ramp yeah because he's doing the weird way he's doing this was a this was a slow old robot I, I, I can't believe they booked this with Ollie Anderson on the booking committee. Like, they, they just... They got Ollie, they got Arn, they got all of these nefarious Four Horsemen guys. They've got brand new Sid Vicious, and they all just run away from a tin bucket. Like, I don't understand. I get that we have to do... I get that we have to do advertising for Robocop 2, but this was a bit silly, wasn't it? And it it was so short as well. Like, I didn't even get my bullshit money's worth. So, the reason why nothing better happened, apparently, is because there just was no plan. Uh, Warner Brothers didn't ask them to do anything specifically, and nobody backstage gave a shit. So, apparently, they came up with an idea. Very, very Vince McMahon, they came up with an idea an hour before the show happened. Also, I don't really see how the four horsemen look like heels here. Like, if you're standing in the back and you're one of the boys, you're looking at Stings, you're like, Stings a bit fucking weird these days, isn't he? Hanging around with Robocop. Yeah. Walking around with the robots. and then, Protect, yeah, yeah. Talking about protecting the little Stingers. Oh, that like, was what, such you, a weird line. Are you alright, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Do you need help? It's time off gotten to you, mate. Just desperate for to get out there. No. I was disappointed with this. I was really looking forward to seeing RoboCop, and it was just too goddamn short. If they really, I wanted, if they, I wanted RoboCop in the ring. Yeah. I wanted RoboCop in the ring doing power slams. Well, I mean, acting like that, I don't know how he would have got in the ring. 
That's true. <laughs> maybe they would get have put Teddy like a... Long. Get Teddy Long out there again. Maybe put him on a jetpack or something. Why didn't you have RoboCop shave Teddy Long's hair? What? <laughs> what fever dream are you having? That makes no sense. What would have made sense is RoboCop coming in the main event. We'll talk about it in a minute, but it's a cage match and him ripping those bars open to get into the match at the oh, end. Oh yeah, man. I, I, I fucking love how RoboCop got his face all over the poster. Probably got a well hefty paycheck for it. He's got a movie coming out in two weeks. He's getting advertised for the movie from this. Couldn't even be bothered to help his so-called mate Sting out. I love how you're talking. He got a paycheck. Like, this is a real guy. He got his paycheck. <laughs> what do you mean he's not a real guy? <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, we've already talked about it, but Tony Schiavone interviews Junkyard Dog. This is his debut. and Junkyard up... Dog made a really good your mum joke at Jim Cornette. What did he say? Uh, he was like, I was walking around town yesterday and I was at 235 Louisville Street, Kentucky. Do you know where that is? Uh, and Jim Cornette was like, <gasps> that's my mum's house. <laughs> and Junkyard <laughs> Dog's like, yeah, that's right, I'm your daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. So, uh, who's he going to go up against? Uh, I think the idea is to put him somewhere near the main event. I assume that he's... I don't actually know, but I assume that he's, uh, at this point, going into some sort of mini-feud with maybe one of the four horsemen. Yeah, someone ran in, but I don't know who it was. I didn't recognise him. I can't remember. Towards the end of the segment. Nah, well, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Next up, we got... Who won? The Rock and Roll Express defeats the Freebirds in a corporal punishment match. Oh, the... now, this is, now, this is fun. 18 minutes and 33 seconds. Uh, good old Meltzer gave it two and a quarter stars. Now, so this was meant to be a... Um, strap match and even the commentary team were a bit confused as to why the whips were placed on the corners and they weren't actually uh, strapped together that's because i don't know who it was but someone fucked up and instead of buying a proper bull rope before the show started they went to a sex shop and bought a nine tails whip (laughs) instead (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the four guys in the ring didn't really want to use the whips because they looked fake. I wondered why it looked like string. Yeah, it completely wrong uh, prop. So it gets. Oh, that's hilarious because the amount of times they like whip it twice and they're like, right, I'm just going to put that back on the turnbuckle. <laughs> they gave it a good old uh, attempt uh, at one moment. They go crazy with it and, and then that's it. We don't see it again. So if you're watching in the moment, I think you'd be thoroughly disappointed that the gimmick isn't used. I was so confused by this because not only was the gimmick not used, but if you have a gimmick, it's at least sort of like visual. Like, even if you don't use it, it's there. Yeah. And I couldn't even see these ropes. I didn't know what they were talking about when they said there were ropes on the turn. I was looking for them. I was like, where are they? I can't, I can't see them. Um, the, the commentary team, especially, was it Bob, Bob Cordell? The whole time was like, I'm surprised the Hills haven't used these uh, straps. I'm surprised that these straps haven't come more into play. Because 
it this makes so much more sense now because like both guys were like what what are, what are we watching this is a tag team match they had to keep reminding the audience that this was actually a gimmick match i think they should have just completely given up with it and had a normal tag match yeah yeah it sounds like they should just not have taken them out there the whips uh shout out to the rock and roll express coming in on a moving platform with a jukebox on it uh, by the way i the, I I have to note from Clash of Champions, Wrestle War, everything so far. I don't get the fabulous Freebirds in 1990, bro. I, I'm sh- I know they had a great 80s, especially when they had Terry Gordy in there. I was say we're missing a guy, aren't we? Terry Gordy, yeah. yeah. But th- this is an a really bored, really boring, uh, really resting on their laurels, lazy tag team, and they have been for the entirety of 1990 so far. The fans really as- seem to love them, though. Yeah, well, they they get good heat, but they seriously they they're like Carlito in two thousand and nine. They just they visibly can't be asked. Yeah, uh, the, the amount of chin locks these these two guys do. I, when I go into these uh, fabulous Freebirds matches in nineteen ninety, I know I'm in for a shit match. And once again, Rock and Roll Express tried to make something out of something like they usually do, but the Freebirds couldn't give a shit. They it was. An incredibly boring, long 20 minutes. And that's a sad thing to say when you've got uh, people like Ricky Morton involved. So so let me ask you, so far, with everything that we've watched with WCW, do you prefer Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, or the Freebirds? Rock and Roll Express, man. Yeah? They've, they're the full package to me. They're the proper babyface team. They've got a fire. They've got a charisma. They've got... I think they're the best wrestlers, personally. Even though they remind you of the Bucks. Even though they remind me of the Bucks. But the Bucks are a bad tribute act to those guys. Okay. My opinion. Yeah. Second up is uh, the Midnight Express. Love those two. But I think I love those two a lot because of Cornette's involvement more than their own wrestling ability. But... 1990 so far the Freebirds have completely disappointed me yeah no I, I think I agree with you because I've heard all the legendly uh, the legendary stories of the Freebirds but I've yet to see them in a very good match well I think they always kind of have been the charisma and heat building versus the actual match quality sure. but I have seen some Freebirds matches and they used to be better than this this is really the, both guys resting on their laurels completely i think at this point and i wouldn't be surprised if the free birds both accidentally disappear in the coming year i think i'm not gonna check it i think they're uh, slowly going down the card yeah i've never understood the pretend to tag gimmick what do you mean you know when a heel team or maybe sometimes a face team i think the face team did it in this one the referee's back turned backs turned and they just clap and then the other guy gets in Oh right, well it's just so they don't have to walk all the way across the ring. But then, but they're walking across the ring yeah, anyway. But then they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's just just to be a dick, I guess. <laughs> I just, I just, uh, I don't really get that gimmick, especially when the face team is using it. Yeah. Uh, what did you give this? Uh, I gave this a two and a half. Okay. Yeah. It just went. It went really long. The gimmick didn't work. The free birds bored me. Um, much respect to the Rock and Roll Express who tried their best, uh, but it, it just it didn't gel. It went too long. Again, it just went too long, like a, like a lot of the matches we talked about. This would have been an absolutely fine ten minute match, and placing it and had they had as, the right whip and used the gimmick, placing it as the third tag match, which didn't work, which went too long, 
in the middle of four with Robocop and a hair versus hair managers match as the breaks in between the tag matches, I'm getting pretty done. I'm surprised you hadn't bitched about all the tag matches so far. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. There we go. There, we're back with Tony Schiavone. He's talking with Doug Furness. And then Sting gets involved in the middle of it. Crowd pops mad for Sting. They love him. No wonder, Sting, no wonder they haven't benched him while he's injured. I'm. I would be genuinely surprised if Vince McMahon hadn't sent out feelers to Sting. Of course, hundred percent. I'm not sure why Vince Sting didn't take the money. Because he was he's born and born and bred WCW, ran through his veins, I guess. Don't know why. Mm. It's a sinking ship, really, at this point, isn't it? It's not a sinking ship. I I think they had a great. Uh, 1989 both financially and in terms of quality okay uh it's it's just this sudden just a lull turn up of of jim hurd right. that is really s- spoiling stuff at the moment okay and then after that we get my favorite match of the night i don't know if it's yours doom which is butch reed and ron simmons i've had a lot of fun with these two guys all the shows we've watched so far they beat Rick, uh, the Steiner brothers, in 19 minutes and 14 seconds to win the NW Tag Team titles in what was really quite a rough bullying affair. Uh, Meltzer gave this three and a quarter stars. I would give it more, but probably just being biased. What did you think? I gave this a three and a half. I thought okay. it was. I thought you you summed it up really well by saying it was a rough bullying affair. I thought the match had a ton of heat as well as good spots, and this is one of those matches that feels like shoot. Like, it actually, I don't know whether it's investment within the feud, investment within the match, or the crowd immersion, but some matches just feel more like a shoot than others, mm. and this felt like uh, a genuine bad-blooded contest yeah. between four great wrestlers. And I feel like back in the day, this would have been the smart marks go-to for, oh, this one's going to bang. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I don't think it was a shoot in a way that they actually didn't like each other. No, no, no. I, think it's just, I didn't mean like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just two tag teams that everyone knew that if you go against these guys, it's, it's going to be a rough one. They're going to go for it for real. Yeah, yeah. I meant more like a, a Brock match. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can definitely tell that the, these four guys had a lot of fun being in there together. They worked really well together as well. Uh, I, I, I'm really glad that Doom won the tag belts because they've been consistently good since uh, we started watching WCW. Uh, the Steiners are excellent, as always. I can't think of a single period of time as a tag team when the Steiners weren't brilliant. Yeah. Uh, a I, fun point to note here is the match should have been dq twice because of the over-the-top rope rule. Wow. Yep, uh, which obviously... No, I didn't even realise the over-the-top... I thought they had slowly gotten rid of that. Well, I think they are, because obviously they, they hadn't... Uh, but there is that one... It was in an earlier match. One of the commentators said, oh, he literally went over the rope, and that would have been a DQ. So it's obviously still a thing. I, one thing I've got to admit is that while they've been done pretty well up to this point, the amount of cheap heat uh, heel finishes to win a match is starting to grate on me a little bit. Hmm. The, they they didn't need uh, a cheap cheap win here. Doom could have won clean and it would have been fine. Yeah, and I sure. feel like we say that with WCW a lot. 
but Doom deserved it as well because they've been on a rise since they, you know, lost the masks a couple of months ago and they were gutted about that, but now they seem fine about it. They definitely working their way up to this position. But I assume we're going to get like a really cool rematch. I hope so. I, I don't know the uh, the matches coming up. I just thought it was a weird low-key finish after a pretty banging 17-18 minute match. Again, 17-18 minutes, but this shows that it can work because fourth match in, at this point, I should be completely done with this product. But they they sold me. They brought me in, back in, and I really enjoyed the match. Fair enough. Then let's talk about the main, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. Lex Luger defeats Ric Flair by shenanigans, as always, in a steel cage match for the NWA Championship. So, obviously, DQ, he didn't win the belt. 17 minutes, 21 seconds. Total chaos at the ends. Uh, before we talk about that, I did just want to bring up the steel cage in that it's a hell in the cell without a roof. It was weird, this one. The the the, the holes in, in it were giant. The actual yeah. cage holes. Uh, I did could... really like that the top of the cage had... Uh, it coming inwards, uh, a lot like you see on a fence around a factory to stop you being able to climb over it. Yeah, yeah, cool. like it was a chicken coop. Yeah, that, there you go. Yeah, uh, I guess that <laughs> I guess that was to stop the uh, horseman climbing in, which became a thing at the end when Arn and Oli did try to climb it, and they kept on giving up for some reason. I didn't quite get that either, though, because it's a cage match, so like one of the options is to climb over the cage. Well, apparently not, because Ric Flair kept trying to climb up, and the commentators said, why is he climbing up? And then I kept thinking, the cage is pointed inwards, so he wouldn't even be able to climb out anyway. Why does he keep climbing up it? I didn't understand any of this booking, Ben. I... Well, well the, the point I was trying to make, sorry, is that the commentary team really made Ric Flair look stupid in that moment, which seems really silly since it's Ric Flair. Yeah, they should have. I, I caught that moment as too. I didn't really understand why they were saying, oh, he can't climb up that. They should have just let him climb up and do the spot because Ric Flair is thinking, I'm in a cage match. Oh, I know what I'd do. I'll climb up the cage. Yeah, use it. It's it's sure. normal and it's natural. And neither of us would think twice about it if they hadn't have pointed out that that was weird. Yeah. But uh, so where, where do we start with this? I... Right, let's still... start with the very beginning. I really liked at the beginning, woman is in the cage, and I think she was in it to highlight the fact that it's a cell rather than a cage. And then um, Lex Luger uh, makes the ref check her for a foreign object, which she has on her after Ric Flair kind of um, trying to stop him from checking her for a, a really long time. Uh, they find a foreign object, which was a fun little start. Sure, but again, so why is Ric Flair and Lex Luger having a cage match? Well, good point. Uh, so I assume the story is the last match we saw them have, the four horsemen all got involved. So I right. assume they're having a cage match so that people can't get involved. Right, so why is woman allowed in the cage? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I'm just saying, I enjoyed the uh, match quality itself, bell to bell in ring. I thought it was great as usual. Not anywhere near as good as the uh, Wrestle War 1990 match they had, 
But Lex Luger really brought it to Flair. Flair was his perfect natural as always. There's a, there's always so much to see and, and take in with Flair. There was a point where he chopped Lex Luger three times and Lex Luger was just taking it. And then Ric Flair backed backed away, put his hands up and says, hey, no, please, brother, don't, don't hit me, don't hit me. Ric Flair created that moment himself. People used to say Ric Flair could wrestle a broomstick. Lex Luger was just going to take the chops until Flair told him what to do next. But Flair backed away and said, oh no, these chops aren't having any effect. Hey, Lex, look like they're not having any effect. You know, yeah. like that was that was just a, a sample of some of the small small things that Flair inflects upon every single match. But that's not saying anything bad about Luger. Luger during this period was a, a powerhouse of a babyface. I don't understand why he couldn't get this feeling, put it in a bottle and unleash it when he nearly got a chance at the WWE Championship in 1993 because this is a completely different Lex Luger. He's definitely improving as well. Um, Like you said, I think the last match we saw of the two of them was better, but I think Lex Luger himself was better in this match. Yeah, he's he's, uh, actually sort of maneuvering himself into this main event position extremely well with very little notice so bell to bell i thought the actual match was was great i mean it wasn't as good as wrestle war wrestle war the main event i gave four and a half stars despite this disqualification finish which is pretty crazy to me uh i'm not sure whether i was just in ecstasy at seeing an early 90s rick flair match back then but I, I stand- well, it went lily an hour long and they had a great match up until the last three minutes with all the shenanigans. So, yeah, yeah it makes sense. This, this, this was, it, this was m- mired more by everything else around it, way more so than the the previous pay per view had had. And again, I don't understand this booking. We were talking about last time. We were talking. You were talking about. I think how you thought Luger could have gone down for the win and taken the pin, and nobody would have minded. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but maybe they're saving that for the rematch so they have something to build up to. Yeah. So we both said, oh, okay, maybe that's what... So here we get to the rematch, and what the fuck happens, Ben? Right, so the four horsemen are out there. They're trying to get into the cage. They're trying to climb in. Uh, they can't do it. Sting comes out to make the save, and you'd think Robocop would join him again, but no, we get uh, El Gigante comes out. But this is after um, uh, the guy I always confuse as Lex Luthor. What's his name? The other guy? I don't know. So, so, so <laughs> Sting is Sting is attacking Ol and Arn Anderson. Who are you thinking of? And um, oh God's sake, I always forget his name. What is he in? What does he do? The the new Four Horsemen guy. We were talking about him earlier. Sid Vicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ole Anderson and Arn Anderson are attacking Sting. Sting's fighting back. And Sid Vicious is kind of just stood there watching. Uh, this stum- guy was green as back then, bro. St- stumbles into the brawl a little bit and then grabs Sting from behind so they can start doing the, the team-up spot. He looks Sid like Vicious- an idiot. Sid Fisher was just trying to figure it looked like he was trying to figure out whether this was a shoot or not yeah El, Ga- El Galiente that's how you say it right that's his Gigante. name Gigante Gigante he uh, he comes out of nowhere and everyone just runs away because he's legit seven foot and so, Sting stands very proud next to him 
can you take me backstage here, Ben? So what happened here? So Sting spent all afternoon with Robocop just chilling and hanging out in a frozen container somewhere in a dark hallway. And then Sting comes down, gets put in a cage, Robocop saves him. And then I assume Sting's like, thanks for that, brother. Robocop's like, no worries, I'm getting on my helicopter now. And then Robocop goes away. So then Sting's sitting backstage, and he's like, those pesky uh, four horsemen, they're still after the little stingers. And he tries to phone up Robocop, and Robocop's like, dude, I'm working now, I'm killing killing punks. So, like, where does he find El Gigante? Wait, 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 before... Before we go any further, is Lex Luger a little stinger? <laughs> yeah, I think he is. Because he because has to keep getting protected by, saved by I, Sting. Well, I, I haven't seen, uh, uh, maybe we missed a couple of Saturday nights, but I haven't seen any little stingers being bothered by the Force Horsemen. So Lex Luger is Sting's little stinger. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. But where does it like just from just try and help me out here? So we, we've left it at Robocop saying I can't come back, Sting. I'm killing punks now. Where yep. does Sting go to find El Gigante? Well, I I feel like that's his. Uh, that was his. That was his B plan. Plan B. Uh, he was going. <laughs> maybe maybe he was maybe he was going to be involved from the very beginning, and then Robocop turned up, and Sting was like, oh, I'd rather go with Robocop. But then Robocop walked out on him, so he had to go but, back I mean, to plan B. But if you're going to use El Gigante in the main event, surely just just use El Gigante, because Sting doesn't have any mates. It's quite clear that he's paying Robocop, and he's paying El Gigante. <laughs> That's and El That doesn't make him look like a babyface at all. <laughs> El Gigante, nothing makes him look like a babyface. The little Stinger thing is weird. El Gigante is... Probably cheaper than Robocop, right? Oh, much cheaper. But he's a lot bigger, and he he's walks a faster. Post. Okay, uh, do you want do you want me to tell you the, what's actually going on here? Go on. So El that Giga- was kind of your setup, Ben. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> you let me just ramble on about Sting talking ro- to Robocop on the phone. I was quite having fun with it. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right, but now here's what's going on. Um, Ted Turner, who owns WCW. He also owns Warner Brothers, who are trying to sell this uh, Robocop 2 movie. Anyway, he also has an interest in the Atlanta, I think, um, basketball team. Mm-hmm. So this El Gigante guy is a basketball player, but he's not very good. And he tries out, and uh, they're not going to sign him on to be a pro. But Ted Turner sees him and thinks, wrestling. This guy's seven foot. Right. He'll look yeah. amazing in a wrestling ring. I do that in Tesco all the time. <laughs> do, do what? what? I see it like a big dude. I'm like, yo. Oh, right. Okay. I could go. You, yo, that's slow and middle card right there. I thought you just looking at the pastor, just like wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you completely thrown me off track. So sorry. This, so this guy does ne- apparently had never watched wrestling in his life has got no idea about face heels um can't act to save his life doesn't really care it's just he failed at being a basketball player and now he's being paid a lot of money to become a professional wrestler which is why he walks around like a wooden post he can't act he can't 
be a wrestler. <laughs> At this point, I don't even think he's learned how to take a bump or, or do a roll or anything, really. They've just kind of thrown him out there because he looked, he's huge. He, but he still looked more more in place than Sid Vicious. Yeah, that was weird. Sid Vicious was weird in this. I don't know. So this guy, <sighs> I think... Well, I think it's going to turn out he's not going to do much for WCW, but at this point, the plans is for him to be the next big thing. I really... I don't know what it was. It's from my childhood, but I really, really remember this guy sitting on a chair uh, with handcuffed to Dusty, I think. And that is a really vivid memory to me from a, like a videotape, and that's my memory of Giant Gonzalez. I don't, I, I don't know when it's from or what year it is, but it must be pretty ra- soon around here. Yeah, I assume so, because I, I don't think he has much of a long wrestling career, does he? No, no, I, I mean, he, he was in WWE in 93, and I don't think he did anything of note after that. Fair enough. Well, the plan, he, he gets a big debut here, saving Sting, saving Lex Luger from Ric Flair, and uh, the plan is for him to be a big thing. So, back to the match. Uh, apparently, O. Anderson has got the magic button to lift the cage. Fucking hell. He lifts a little bit, and a fifth four horseman guy, I, don't, I can't remember the guy's name, slides under the cage into the ring. Barry Windham. Yeah, that was it. He attacks Lex Luger to get the DQ. At least this time, Lex Luger wins with the DQ. Last time, he'd lost by DQ, which was very strange, even yeah, though he was being import- attacked. The important thing here is that little stinger Lex Luger... This is this is the last match. This is the feud ender with Ric Flair. He never gets any comeback. He never gets any comeuppance. Oh really? He goes back to being a US champion and Sting's little Stinger mate. Because um, because Sting's back from injury. Sting's back from injury. Yeah, this is. I mean, you can tell this is just a placeholder. It's all about Sting. It's always about Sting. I understand that people backstage might be trying to save face for everyone. That's why there's so many dirty finishes. But Lex Luger could have taken this loss. Especially if he's going back to the mid-card. He already had a main event DQ. He was never supposed to be in the position anyway. The World Heavyweight Champion means more than the US Champion. And it's Ric Flair. Yeah. You, you Like, it's fine. Just let him eat the pin. Yeah, it's very strange. I guess, I guess... I guess they're just trying to put the heat on the four horsemen so that it's better when Sting comes back that these guys If you are... want to put the heat on the four horsemen, don't let them run away from a really old, tired, slow machine and a gigantic dude that doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> That's it, you've summed up the show that right there. <laughs> that's a good that's that's a good note to end it on because that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I didn't enjoy this one as much as Wrestle War 90, but I still had a lot of fun with it, despite the fact that I've complained about it for an hour. What's uh, I, I, I am really enjoying these shows. What star rating did you give the main event? I gave it a three and a half for the for the belt to belt. Oh, sa- same as Meltzer. Same as Meltzer. Lex Luger has maybe the best military press slam in the business. Unbelievable. Oh, he's yeah. Uh, I I really don't know what happened with him from from this point to. Uh, WWF a couple of years later. It seems like two different people. Well, we're going to find out as we continue the WCW saga. I'm loving this WCW saga. I think we're dropping WWF unless we just come across an event we like, which might be a couple of years. 
We probably watched like uh, Rumble '92, which Ric Flair wins, or something like that. So but only when Ric Flair turns up, we bother watching. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm interested in watching WWF. Um, is it '95 or '96? Oh yeah, no, no. Once we get to that period, that'd be fine. It's just getting through this Hogan slosh at the moment. Yeah. So, what's our next WCW show? Do you know? I can tell you. Great American Bash. That's the one. Oh, no, I think there might be a Clash of Champions beforehand. Okay. I'll have a look. All right, we'll, we'll we'll have a look. But the Great American Bash actually looks like a really fun show. I don't know if there's a tournament or something. I don't do spoilers, bro. I'm I'm living WCW nineteen ninety real time. Okay, so I won't tell this you what happens. My, this is my promotion. I won't tell you what happens, but there is a lot of fun looking matches lined up. We're gonna Did have you a lot. I remember fun. how upset I got when I got to Russell War and texted you and said, Why is Sting not in this main event? <laughs> I'm living it like it is actually on right You're now. You're a proper mark. It's all about Sting and Ric Flair. Yeah, man. Okay, well, that's been the WCW saga of the Capital Combat 1990 featuring Robocop for all of five minutes. Uh, until next time, keep it botched up. Brother! Like, share, and subscribe to keep it botched up, brother!